All right, we're going to start in the book of Matthew this morning, then we'll be in the book of Isaiah and uh, kind of bouncing around a few different places. We'll start in the book of Matthew chapter 2 this morning. I'll be honest, as I stand up and get ready to get started, I've got a lot on my mind, on my heart, um, and this sermon kind of what I've been in preparation for for... um, it feels like a month or two, honestly, kind of thinking through this. Maybe, maybe First Peter kind of set me up for this a little bit. I, I don't know. It's just one of those sermons that has kind of settled in in my heart uh, over the last few weeks, especially. I wanted to preach it last week, but I, I realized that uh, in, in this series, we're talking about uh, joy. I knew we weren't quite ready for it uh, yet. Last week, we kicked off our series, this Repeat the Sounding Joy, and we looked at Psalm 98 and the words of Isaac Watts. Uh, classic uh, Advent, Christmas, Second Coming song, whatever you want to call it, Joy to the World. And I wanted us to see that joy is baked into the story of Scripture, not just the Christmas story. It's baked into the story uh, of Scripture. It isn't just a feature that gets added on as we go, as though God wants to just make sure we're having a good time while we're here. Joy is at the root of what God is doing and where we are headed. So I had fun preaching it. Uh, I enjoyed being able to stand up here and talk about joy. And this morning, uh, we're going to talk about another song that we know well, a song that we'll sing here uh, in a little bit. Uh, It's one of my favorites, uh, and it's called God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen. You guys know that song. Uh, The title would be enough for me to spend some time on uh, this morning and walk through this morning. I think Chris has shared this before. I know I've talked about it before, Uh, but... But this, this song, God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen, the, the location of the comma makes all the difference in this song. Uh, it is not God rest ye, uh, it, it's not God rest, comma, ye merry gentlemen. It is not, it is God rest ye merry, comma, gentlemen. That is the way uh, that, it, that it works. And so uh, it makes a, 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 big, a big difference because where the comma is it changes the meaning of what the song is. In today's language, you would think that a song called God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen uh, would be a, a song where God should take these merry men and give them rest. But that's actually not what that song is about at all. Actually, the word rest is uh, m- better defined as to make. Uh, or to establish, or to create. So, uh, and the word Mary would be better translated from the time that it was written to now to be like mighty or strong, all right? So God rest ye merry gentlemen. I mean, think, think about, you say, well, how does Mary become mighty? Well, think about Robin Hood and his merry men. They were not a bunch of happy guys out in the forest. They were strong and mighty men. That's what is meant to be communicated by uh, Uh, Robin Hood and his merry men. So this song is not about being restful or happy, but about God making men mighty and strong because of the Christmas message. But that's a different sermon than the one I'm preaching this morning. Uh, As much as I would like to go through and preach that message, that is not the one for this morning. It's the refrain in the chorus that I want to, uh, that I want to focus on this morning. Tidings of comfort and joy. It's a nice phrase that has a lot of sentimentality to it. We all know it and we all take it kind of at at face value. The words words mean the same there, no no tricks of language compared to the the title. It, It really does simply mean comfort and 
joy. And we don't even question it because the idea of comfort and joy is so baked into the Christmas story. It's so part of what we do at Christmas time that this upbeat idea of comfort and joy seems exactly the right tone to strike at Christmas. And it is. But let me ask you, why are comfort and joy such prominent themes in our Christmas story? Why is it such a a prominent idea? Because here's the thing, when you read the Christmas story, it might actually kind of push back on that just a little bit. This week I've been doing something I don't do a lot of. I've been listening to the, the radio. Uh, we've got a free trial of, of satellite radio, so I've been giving it a listen. And, and at this point, they, they've added all these Christmas stations. And so there's, there's dozens of Christmas stations that you can listen to. So I'll just go back and forth until I find one uh, that, I, that I like. And uh, at, at some point, I'm not really sure why, but I have heard the patron saint of East Tennessee, Dolly Parton, singing Hard Candy Christmas a lot this week, uh, really the last couple of weeks. And I'm not really sure why that one has popped up so much, but uh, it's a rule. If you live in East Tennessee, Dolly Parton comes on the radio, you stop. That's what you listen to. Uh, you don't go and try to find something else. That's where you, uh, that's where you, where you, you stop. But what's been interesting, and, I, and I've probably heard it close to a dozen times in the last two weeks, Um, And what's interesting is that almost every time that they have played the song on these channels, they've also included with it an interview from another artist or from Dolly herself. And they have talked about so much in these interviews about how much that song has meant to them over the years because of what they experienced growing up or what their parents experienced growing up or what their grandparents experienced and the way they would talk about uh, Christmas because... Uh, it meant a lot to them because there were some years in their life or in their parents' life where where Christmas was just hard. It was just really, really hard. Where life was too much. It was too hard. It was too sad. They couldn't sing joy to the world, but somehow they could sing hard candy Christmas. They couldn't sing joy to the world, not because it wasn't true, just because it wasn't in there for them during that time. But this idea of a hard Christmas, they understood that. And and that song, as it kind of pulls out the idea of hope throughout the song, that made sense to them. It was helpful for them. There was a time where I don't think I would have understood that kind of thinking. I would have said, you know what, just sing joy to the world and figure it out. It's Christmas. Just be happy. Can you not be happy at Christmas, there was a time where I would have felt that, and I would have said, come on now, you you can't be so in the doldrums that you can't even enjoy uh, Christmas. But the older I get, the more I think I'm starting to understand this idea just a little bit more. Because sometimes life is just hard. Sometimes life is just really, really hard. Plain and simple. No way around it. No sugarcoating any of it. It's just hard. In a world that has been broken, sometimes that world is broken in all the, the wrong ways just for you. Like it feels like it's not just broken, but it's broken on top of you. Does that make sense? Like you, like you, you feel like the, the weight of that brokenness just kind of sits on you. So that whenever you hear songs like Joy to the World and and you hear this idea of tidings of comfort and joy, it just doesn't connect. 
And when the rest of the world shouts joy to the world loudly every December, you kind of check out a little bit and you're like, I'm not there. So what do we make of, of, of people like us that come in here on a Sunday like today and kick off by singing joy to the world? When we know that there's people around us and people in the midst of us that can't sing that song. That really probably the last thing they want to hear is a song like that. What are we to make of that? Should we just dismiss the fact that, that, that this, is, this is a part of life and kind of move on and sing these songs? Should we, should we write off the idea that someone is potentially sad or dealing with uh, different, different difficult things during the Christmas season? Should we, should we write it off as an ungodly idea that we, just, we, we personally need to just shake it off and suck it up and move on? And find the joy that's got to be there somewhere. How can Christians sing about joy in a world that is broken? How can we stand up here and sing about joy when we know all the heartbreak that is around us? Isn't this disingenuous? Isn't this at least callous toward all that is happening? Isn't it cruel to all those that are dealing with sin and suffering? Maybe you've not thought much about that. But the last few years I have, and it's a bit jarring, and it can kind of make you lose your balance at times. It can kind of make your world spin just a little bit at times. But here's the thing. When you go back to the Bible's story of Christmas, whenever I went back over the last few years and just read what is in the Scriptures about the Christmas story, I realized something. That the Christmas story is really quite different from the words that, that we typically associate with it. Comfort and joy are not really the main themes at all. The truth is, if you look at the Christmas story, joy is pretty hard to find. Now, don't, don't misunderstand me. Like we just read here with the, uh, the, this, this Advent candle and the candle of joy and, and read about the shepherds and their joy. It's there, so it's hard to find, but it's there, and it shines even more brightly because of all the darkness that is around it. But comfort is even harder to find than joy. So think about this just a second. Jordan did such a great job there singing that song, Labor of Love. It kind of sets the stage for what that evening was. But think about the whole story and the absence of comfort and joy. You've got a couple that's ready to be married that has their whole world turned upside down. Mary gets sent away to her cousin's house in order to kind of shield her and protect her family. She gets sent away. Matthew is trying to figure out how to quietly get rid of her and divorce her in a way that is uh, honorable to him and also kind of preserves her just a little bit. Uh, nobody's singing about comfort and joy during this time. As Joseph and Mary head out to Bethlehem, they are completely alone. There's no mention of any family with them. They are completely by themselves. Now, they should be probably traveling with family that is also going with them back to Bethlehem for this census, but they're not. They're alone. And so perhaps it's me reading into the story just a little bit, but we don't have any mention of extended family outside of Zechariah and Elizabeth with Mary. We have no mention of extended family for Mary and Joseph at any point in the Scriptures. Now, maybe, maybe just the, the, the writers of Scriptures, they, they just... 
They didn't put that part in there because we didn't need that detail of Jesus' life. But maybe, maybe after all that happened around this story, Joseph and Mary may have just been shunned from their families, bringing dishonor potentially upon their families. But we know they're alone on that Christmas night. We know they're alone in Bethlehem that night. We know that they traveled those roads that would have been very dangerous roads during this time to go to Bethlehem alone. And as they get into town, they can't find a bed. They can't find a midwife. They can't find anything to help them out. They're given a stable to rest. There's no comfort in a stable. I don't think I need to tell you that. And this is where Jesus would be born, in the stable, with no one but the lowly shepherds to come and celebrate them. They are alone. It is a hard situation. Tidings of comfort and joy does not mark this story. It's just not the theme. Now, as I said, joy is a minor theme in the Advent story. It is something that is there, but it's not, a, it's not the major theme, and comfort is altogether absent. And then you have the darkest part of the story with a murderous king, Matthew 2, 16 through 18. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and he killed all the male children in Bethlehem and all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. She refused to be comforted. There was no solace there. There's nothing about that story that Matthew recalls that is hopeful. It's a passage from Jeremiah where Jeremiah is recalling the weeping of Rachel and then implying it to the exile of Israel and how so much of Israel was wiped out in the exile. There is no neat, tidy ending. It ends in weeping. The wise men we love. Rachel's weeping, not so much. She refused to be comforted. It doesn't say she refused to be comforted, but all these great things happened. That's where Matthew leaves it. She refused to be comforted. So what are we supposed to do with this comfort and joy? Why do we sing of comfort and joy? Is that an unbiblical idea that has been interjected into our Christmas traditions that we need to let go? Should we, along with Scrooge and a Christmas carol, kind of balk at any time we hear people sing about comfort and joy? It all depends on how you tell the story. I'm not saying you leave out the uncomfortable and the hard parts. In fact, I think that the best way for us to understand this idea of comfort and joy is to do exactly what Matthew does. You lean into them. You lean into the hard parts. And when you do, I think Christmas moves from this nice, happy holiday to what it really is. And that is a solution to the despair of a broken world. You see, Christmas isn't great because of the events of that day. 
which we celebrate, and it's right for us to celebrate them. Linus is right about the shepherds and the star and that that is what Christmas is all about. But it isn't just about that. It's about a story that started long before that star appeared, and it's about, it's about what that day, that Christmas morning, reminds us of now. So turn with me to Isaiah chapter 40, and we're going to do a little bit of work here. We're going to do a little bit of work, and we're going to pull out this idea of comfort and figure out how do we get to a place where we can sing about tidings of comfort and joy. Isaiah chapter 40. These are some, some famous verses in this chapter that we like to read around uh, this time of year. In fact, I read them last year or last week whenever we lit the Advent candle uh, last week. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, uh, 4, and 5. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now Matthew takes those verses and he applies these verses to the birth and the ministry of John the Baptist as a forerunner to that Christmas day and a forerunner to the ministry of Jesus. But the entire chapter, chapter 40 of Isaiah, is given for Israel, that is, that, that to, to give them hope in the midst of their exile. So you take this idea of Rachel weeping because of her children being no more, being taken away from exile, and then you come back and you fill that in with the words of Isaiah 40. And what Isaiah is trying to communicate is, yes, weep because the sadness is real, the brokenness is real, the sin is real, but that is not the entire story because there is more. And then Matthew goes to Isaiah 40 and he pulls out this idea of John the Baptist being the forerunner and he says that he will prepare the way of the Lord. But it shifts here in chapter 40. It shifts from, if you read the book of Isaiah up until this point, for the most part, what you see is a lot of warnings. What you see is a lot of, uh, of kind of like chastisement coming from Isaiah for what Israel has done to get to this place of exile. But in chapter 40, the whole message shifts. And he begins to say, yes, all this stuff is terrible. Yes, it's right that Rachel weeps and we apply that to us then. Yes, it's right in all of those things, but it won't be this way forever. And that's how chapter 40 begins. And while these verses aren't directly quoted by Matthew, I think they apply well with the promise that he ties to John the Baptist. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1. It says, Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, and that she, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. So for Israel... And for us today, Jesus is seen as the source of comfort and the end of exile. While Mary and Zechariah and most of Israel may have thought that the Messiah would end their exile and, uh, and all their oppression by overthrowing the Roman rule, we know that the story is much bigger than that. And comfort is found in more significant places. But don't miss Isaiah's promise of comfort. 
If you're reading through the book of Isaiah, this chapter jumps out at you for its different tone. I mean, it is harsh, dark, strong words. And then you have the refrain, comfort, comfort, oh my people. The comfort is there. It is promised. It is coming in Jesus. But the comfort is something that you find in places that you probably wouldn't expect. It's, it's in the midst of Rachel's weeping that the comfort comes. It's in the midst of exile that the comfort comes. It's in the midst of the, the, the lament. It's in the midst of the pain. It's in the midst of the brokenness and the sorrow. If you're going to find comfort, that is where you find that comfort. And then if you turn to John 16, you see how this continues, this theme continues. John chapter 16, if you guys want to turn over there. Jesus is going to continue this idea that comfort is going to come in the places that we least expect it. John chapter 16, verse 4. But I have said these things to you. This is, this is Jesus. He says, I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is predicting his death. And he's saying, I will go away. I must go away. And that brings sorrow to you. But you need to understand that that is actually better for you. Because if I go away, I will send. It says the helper. Another perfectly good translation for that is the comforter. I will send the comforter for you. In the midst of your sorrow. Yes, this is terrible. Yes, weep. Whenever Jesus dies, but know that when Jesus dies, something better, even more wonderful than Jesus being in, uh, in Jerusalem and being in that place with his disciples, something even more wonderful is coming. The Comforter is coming. The Comforter is coming for us. He says, if I go, I will send him to you. It doesn't mean the situation doesn't call for sorrow. It does. Jesus will have the brokenness of this world broken over his head. But it is not the end of the story. Because in the midst of the sorrow, God is at work in comforting us. We go looking for comfort in so many places. We look for comfort in presents and traditions and stuff in sappy music and well-curated Christmas decorations. We go looking for comfort in, in our relationships. We go looking for comfort in food. We go looking for comfort in so many places. And why do we do that? Because we need to be comforted. Because this world is broken. We do whatever we can to get out of the sorrow, and that is totally, totally the, the natural right thing to do. But what Jesus says is, I will send someone to help you. The Spirit will come, and He will be your helper. He will be your comforter. Jesus tells us that our, the source of our comfort is actually going to be found in the midst 
of some of our greatest sorrows. That is not what we like to sing about at Christmas. It's not like it's not what any of us want to talk about ever. And I'm not trying to take the fun out of Christmas. We're probably going to watch Home Alone tonight and laugh really, really hard. It is fine to have fun at Christmas. I'm not trying to remove that, but the truth is this morning is that so many do not feel any sense of comfort or joy. It's just not on the horizon. It doesn't look like it's coming anytime soon. The truth is Christmas can be hard. The truth is every other day on this planet can be hard because it comes with pains and it comes with brokenness and it comes with sin and sorrow. But I want you to hear me. God has not left us to fend for ourselves or to sort it out on our own. God has sent his son and he has sent the spirit. And that Holy Spirit, the comforter, indwells every believer. That is our source of comfort and joy. I want to look at just, just, just one or two more passages that I think will frame this idea of comfort and joy and help us to get to a place where we can sing a full-throated tidings of comfort and joy to one another. John chapter 20, so you go, go for just a few chapters in the book of John. John chapter 20, Jesus has died, Jesus has uh, been buried, and he has been uh, placed in the, in the tomb to be left there for all his disciples to know. Despite all of his predictions about how he would come back, they were at a loss. Their sorrow was palpable. They had no idea how to move forward. They didn't know what tomorrow looked like because they couldn't even think about tomorrow. Mary shows up at the tomb. And this is what she finds. John chapter 20, verse 11. Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting there, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain. She would have been one of the people who had prepared the body and put that body there. One at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Twice Mary has asked, why are you weeping? Why do you weep, Mary? The easy answer is because she's certain Jesus is dead. Not only is he dead, is he dead he's gone missing. They've taken him away. She can't even grieve properly. She had helped prepare him for burial. She had watched as the tomb was sealed. She, had, she was grieving. She was in sorrow. But she didn't know the rest of the story. And the rest of the story is that comfort and joy were just moments away. While she wept, Jesus came to her. And he said, I'm right here. Why are you weeping? He is risen. That is our source of comfort. It is always Easter 
here at Providence, even at Christmas. That is the source of our comfort. Christmas is by itself not really that great a source of comfort or joy. The details of the story don't really prompt that. When we sing Labor of Love, we don't go skipping out of the room. It's heavy. There's a lot to it, right? It's the rest of the story that pulls it all together for us. Jesus' birth was the evidence that all those prophecies in the Old Testament, that they were true. That when Isaiah said, comfort, comfort, oh my people, God had in mind a way to deliver that comfort. Not in, an ex- in an, not in an expected way, not in any way we would have chosen, but in the midst of sorrow. God had a plan to deliver that comfort that he had set in place before the foundation of the world. Christmas is the evidence that we need to be able to cling to hope no matter how bad this world beats us down. No matter how much we wreck No matter how much we are wrecked by sin or no matter how much we wreck our own worlds by sin. We can know that God has not forgotten and that God has come to bring us comfort. Christmas is, think of it like the down payment of that. It is the first fruits of this idea that God is there for us. Emmanuel, God with us. Not just with us as a judge, but with us as a comforter. Do you you remember, I don't know how many C.S. Lewis fans we got here, but do you remember the curse of the white witch in Narnia? What made it so terrible in Narnia while she rules? It was always winter, but never Christmas. It was always the darkness, never the light. It was always the pain, never the comfort. It was always the emptiness, never the promise. But the story of Scripture is that God never leaves us in the darkness, in the pain, or in the emptiness. He comes with tidings of comfort and joy. I want to read one more text for for us that I think will frame for us the rest of uh, the, the, this morning, and I think we'll frame kind of a good way for us to wrap things up and send us out on a note of both comfort and joy, but also a challenge of what we do with this idea. I think it perfectly shows how God is at work today and what He is doing. Second Corinthians chapter one. Second Corinthians chapter one. Verse 3 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction, with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. What a beautiful promise. First Peter, Peter talks about all this suffering that, that these people are about to endure. And he talks about how terrible things are. This is where we've been in the fall. And he talks about how all this is about to happen to them. And that they've, they've not really experienced full suffering yet, but it's coming. 
How great is it to have this dual promise to be able to throw out there as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings. So through Christ, we share abundantly in comfort too. The sufferings he does not take away from us. We all wish that he would. But this side of heaven, those sufferings are still a part of being in a broken world. But the promise that we're given is that when we share in the sufferings, we more abundantly share in the comfort too. And not only do we share in the comfort, what it tells us is that when we have been comforted in our affliction, part of the reason that we have been comforted is so that we too can comfort others. We have been given that mission. The suffering is never meant to kind of terminate within ourselves. It is meant to give us comfort that we too may comfort others, that we can partner with the spirit in his ministry does that blow your mind that blows my mind that we can we can partner with the holy spirit and exactly what the holy spirit has come to do we can partner in that ministry and do part of what the spirit has come to do through the death of jesus and through the ministry of the spirit we share in his sufferings but make no mistake about it we share abundantly in his comfort so this morning, maybe stuff's going well for you. Maybe you're like, man, why are we got to talk about suffering again? Why are we got to deal with this stuff again? Can we not just have some like happy talks? Can we not just kind of deal with some like happier stuff? Maybe it doesn't strike a note with you. And if that is the case, I rejoice with you. Man, I hope if that's you, that whenever we step in here and we sing joy to the world, you shout it. Because somebody in here needs to hear you sing it. If you're in here and that note of sorrow and brokenness just doesn't connect with you, then what that means is you've been comforted somewhere along the way. You take that and you go and you comfort someone else. That's the mission you've been given. And I hope you'll take that everywhere you go. Not just in here. I hope you'll take that with you to Walmart. I hope you'll take that with you to Food City. I hope you take, you, you'll take that with you to your job. I hope you'll take that with you to your kids. I hope that will just infuse everything around you. I rejoice with you. But for those of you in here who feel that brokenness and feel that weight this season, for whatever reason, I could, I could stand here and we could list 10,000 reasons that you might feel that. If that's you this morning if it is a sharp cutting pain or if it is a dull ache to you i offer tidings of comfort and joy that the story doesn't end with the christmas story but it keeps going and then we have the easter story and then we have the story of the church and then we have where the story is going This morning, I pray that God would rescue Mary, that he would make you mighty, that you would not be dismayed because Jesus was born to save us, even while we were still sinners, gone astray. And there is no greater reason to rejoice or find comfort than that.
So my prayer for each of us in here this morning is that this Christmas, that those tidings of comfort and joy will ring in our ears and they will ring in our hearts every time that we hear that song. And every time that we think about what God is doing. And that we will be reminded that comfort can be found in very strange places. Like a manger. Or an empty tomb. Or a good friend. Or a stranger that you've never even met. Will you pray with me? Father, this morning it is our confession that too often... We do not feel the brokenness of this world because we have numbed ourselves to it. We have, we, we, we have sought out everything we can find to numb ourselves to the brokenness of this world. Whether that be Christmas traditions or, uh, or, or just entertaining ourselves to death. Father, I pray that we would, we would feel the brokenness of this world, but not in a way that gives us despair or leaves us hopeless, but instead in a way that helps us to recognize the comfort and the joy that you have given us in Christ. Father, I pray for those in here that need to hear that this morning. Father, I pray for those that, have, that, are, that are dealing with the aftermath of tornadoes this morning. Comfort and joy is not on their mind right now. But Father, I pray that you would come and that you would be the helper and that you would bring peace in the midst of that. I pray for those in this room that comfort is nowhere to be found. It's not on the horizon. I pray that they would remember and that they would know the rest of the story. That in the depth of sorrow, in the depth of pain, the comforter will come. And Father, I pray for all of us that we would rely on you for that comfort. That we would rely and that we would look to you. nowhere else. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.